If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey, 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 it's Dr. Erica here, your Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist. I'm bringing my over 20 years of experience to you in this episode, and my guest is my super friend, Chuck Hobbs. He is an attorney, writer, and so much more. You don't want to miss this conversation as we talk about truth-telling and legacy-building. We talk about everything from grief to COVID to our own mortality, mental health, Living in Your Purpose, Dr. Humphreys of Florida A&M University, writing and truth telling. I know there is something for you in this episode because these insights can help you be better, do better, and live better immediately. Now on to the show. Better with Dr. Erica. Welcome. I'm your host, Dr. Erica, and I am so excited that you have taken time out of your busy schedule to sit here and put me and my guest in your ears. Today, I have Chuck Hobbs. Now, if you don't know Chuck Hobbs, you're about to know Chuck Hobbs. Not only are you about to know Chuck Hobbs, you're about to be glad you know Chuck Hobbs. So just sit back and relax, and we're about to do this. So let me tell you a little bit about Chuck before I have him tell you more, because I can't tell the story of Chuck like Chuck can So Chuck Hobbs is brilliant. Not only is he brilliant because he is a man of Morehouse, (laughs) but also he is one of the smartest people I know. He is a writer. He is an attorney. He is an advocate. You can catch him on the interwebs on numerous shows like Steel Sharp and Steel, sometimes on his own show, Observation Point. He does all of the things, and he does it with so much knowledge that I'm always totally impressed. But before I spill all of the beans about Chuck, I'm going to let Chuck tell you a little bit about himself. So tell the people about yourself, Chuck. Well, first of all, I am so grateful to be a part of your platform. Uh, Again, I have told you many times, and I'll say this to your listeners now, that uh, you were an enormous help to me and so many last year during the darkest days of the pandemic, uh, both with your academic brilliance as a psychiatrist, but also with your ability to empathize and to break things down in ways that those of us who are laypersons uh, when it comes to science and medicine can understand and incorporate within our daily lives. And so I'm so grateful uh, to be here with you, as I have always been grateful when you have graced my show uh, with your presence as well. And so I look forward to us being able to build and and continue to inspire and analyze things for many, many years to come. Again, by way of introduction, uh, I am Chuck Hobbs. I'm, a, I'm based in Tallahassee, Florida, which is technically my hometown. With that in mind, I uh, grew up here and stayed here until I went to Morehouse in 1990. Now, before we came on air, I was telling you a little bit about that. You know, often I've had people say to me that, uh, Chuck, well, why didn't you just stay at FAMU? That was a great school. It is a great school, and it is. But I really wanted to go to Morehouse if for no other reason that I wanted to challenge myself. You know, when you have a father that works on campus and you have a mother that works on campus, 
you know, the, the big concern I had was if I decided to go to FAMU, would I actually have been earning things based upon my merit or would I have been earning things because that's the Colonel's boy or Dr. Vivian's boy? And so with that in mind, I wanted to chart my own path and I am glad I did. And they encouraged that as well. I didn't have parents that were trying to hold me back. They were like, go wherever you want to go. After graduating from Morehouse, I wasn't 100 percent sure whether I wanted to be a lawyer or whether I wanted to get a PhD in history and teach. And so I came back home to try to figure it all out, uh, enrolled in graduate school at FAMU, had a good time that year, um, learned quite a bit. And the pivotal event of our lifetimes at that point in time, from a current event standpoint at that point, was the O.J. Simpson murder trial. Um, Most of us, I think that, can state where we were when we saw OJ in that car riding on the freeway out there in LA with his buddy, Al Cowlings. Uh, And even if you didn't watch that, some or all of us pretty much that were alive at the time watched some of that trial. And I was particularly mesmerized by our brother, Johnny Cochran, a good new uh, member of Kappa Alpha Psi, who was a brilliant trial lawyer. And It was at that point that I stopped and realized, hey, I want to do what he does. I like the way he dressed. I like the way he spoke. I love the way he carried himself. And I was like, I could see myself doing that. And so and I followed his blueprint to a T. Actually, he had been a prosecutor before becoming a criminal defense attorney. So I became a prosecutor before becoming a criminal defense attorney. So that's how I got here. But more than anything, and I won't say when, but when we were in school, I was also (laughs) I began writing. And with that, uh, that was so cool being able to get that experience with the Maroon Tiger. Now, what's interesting about that is I really wanted to write because I enjoyed writing, but I wanted to write because I was trying to pledge. And (laughs) at that point in time, me and one of my best friends, uh, uh, Maurice Waring, uh, Allende Waring now, uh, we both had a joint column because he was trying to pledge Omega. I was trying to pledge Kappa and we were trying to do anything we could do to draw the attention of the respective organizations. And I kept on writing all the way through Morehouse and I wrote at FAMU, wrote at UF, and I've continued to write uh, both with my own blog, Observation Point, but I've also had feature columns for years in The Hill, Grio, uh, have had a few pieces in the New York Times and several other newspapers across the country. So uh, that's my true passion. And that's one thing coming out of the pandemic and I hope we can talk about it today, is I have finally figured out a way to make a little money (laughs) off of that. And with that, I am so grateful for that opportunity because I think that for the next portion of my life, that's what I want to do. I want to write. I want to lecture. I want to do shows like this because I have dealt with burnout and all sorts of other issues that I'm sure we're going to delve into here and a little bit that make me want to ensure that I'm using my talents in the best way to impact as many people as possible. Now mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a few really quick questions just so the people can get to know, can get to know Hobbs a little bit more. Okay. Um, these are some this or that questions. Okay. So burgers or kale? <laughs> burgers. Yeah. I'm always <laughs> keeping 100. <laughs> I am not mad. Yeah. Beach or mountains? Mountains. Easily. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Even even as a Florida boy. Mountains. I was going to say, as a mm-hmm. Florida boy. Mountains. Okay. Here's a big one. Marvel or DC? Marvel. Mm-hmm. All right. Laundry or dishes? Dishes. Hmm. <laughs> and the last one is Mac or PC? PC. Uh, I have not gotten a Mac yet. Yeah. So <laughs> I keep hearing these great things about Mac, but I still just have a regular old Hewlett, Hewlett Packard PC. I am everything Apple. I am so, they might as well just have a t-shirt that says, I am in the cult. (laughs) I got you. I got you. Listen, this conversation is nothing without you. So stay right here and we'll be back in a few moments. Better with Dr. Erica. It's time for the better tip of the week. This tip is going to be gratitude. I want to encourage you to take some time every day, even if it's only a minute or so to think about at least three things that you are grateful for. I was having a conversation with a friend and they were talking about just being grateful to have a bed to sleep in, have a home to live in, food to cook. 
and it reminded me about how a lot of times there are small things you can be grateful for even if you feel like you are feeling overwhelmed you woke up today that's something to be grateful for everybody is not waking up everyone does not have another day but to just take a moment to be grateful for those small things and not to be simply caught up in the big things like the money the clothes the things you want the relationships you want the home you want but just to take a moment for the small things a lot of times it's the little things and gratitude can really harness positive energy so back to the show Better with Dr. Erica. right before we came on i was watching the documentary um, about my life for mary j blige and it had me all up in my feelings, just totally up in my feelings. Because right before that, I'd had a conversation yesterday with one of my coaches. And the conversation was actually around uh, one of my closest friends that passed away. And then when it got to the documentary, it's great. I highly recommend it. And I am not being sponsored by Mary J. Blige or Amazon Prime. But at the very end, she writes the most beautiful statement about Andre Harrell. And I was literally in my feelings trying to catch tears so I didn't look all crazy on the video that all of you out there are actually not even seeing. But it's just amazing that we've been in the season of loss, but we're also at an age where not only are people losing their parents and familial loved ones, but people are losing their mentors. But we're also at an age, even though we feel 25, where we are losing friends. Um, and, and that's been pretty huge. And I know you were dealing with something this morning. Um, would you like to talk about it a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, Doc, I appreciate that. Uh, longtime FAMU president, Dr. Frederick S. Humphreys passed away. He was 85 years old. And his son, Lawrence, and I, a Morehouse man uh, as well, uh, have been friends since he became FAMU's president back in 1985. I was in eighth grade at FAMU High School, FAMU High is K through 12. And Lawrence uh, was in 10th grade, he's two years older. And we struck up a friendship right off rip and uh, that remains to this day. And we were texting back and forth uh, throughout the evening last night and it, it's tough. And, and I know what he's going through because I lost my own dad back in May of 2000. And even 21 years later, uh, the, the that raw pain goes away, but there are some times, um, Erica, when good and bad, where things might be going really well, and I'm like, boy, I'd really like to talk to Pop, or things could be going really badly, and like, boy, I would love to hear his perspective on what I should do, and you just can't, and and so that gets painful sometimes, but, you know, it, with that in mind, we all have dealt with struggle and with death, and, you know, when we, before we came on air, I was telling you, um, my, the first death I dealt with was my mother's mother back in 1980. And I was about eight years old. And the first time I'd ever seen a body in the casket and what have you. And it, it was tough. And I didn't know her very well. Um, I knew my, my father's mother far better. But part of the reason I didn't know mom's mom that well is because we were, uh, again, traveling in the military. And so I can count on one hand the number of times I ever was in uh, my grandmother Helen's physical presence. And Wait, I your grandmother's that. name is Helen? Yeah, Helen Williams. Mm -hmm. uh, my um, grandmother's name is Helen. See, see, look at you. What was her middle name? My grandmother's middle name was Louise. Oh, her middle name was Marie. Marie. Okay, very good. Hel Helen Marie Campbell. Now, is uh, Mrs. Campbell still with us? No, she passed away quite a quite a few years ago. Okay. All right. But well, my, my father's mother's still living. Okay. Well, my condolences on the loss of Mrs. Campbell. And, um, and then Erica, the other thing that really hit me was, you know, dealing with familial deaths as a boy growing up. But what really hit me was when my best friend, Christopher Henry was killed in Tallahassee back in October of 1992. Um, it was my junior year at Morehouse, his junior year at FAMU. I mean, me and this guy did everything together, like from age eight on. If it was something good, bad, or ugly, uh, he was somewhere in the midst if, if I was in it. And um, and so, you know, a lot of us from Tallahassee, you know, came down for the funeral. 
we were fortunate when we were at Morehouse because there were a bunch of guys from Tallahassee, including Lawrence Humphreys, who were in school with us up there, uh, which made the transition easier. Now, I met, met and became friends with a whole lot of other people because uh, such is the case of what happens at smaller HBCUs. You tend to know everybody, even if you don't really know them. Um, but it was really good. It was weird for all of the talking, laughing and road trips we had done through the years. I don't think two or three sentences uh, got said between the six of us. We rolled six deep in a wow. Chevy Impala. <laughs> I know that sounds cliche, but we were six deep in an Impala that we had rented to get home for Chris's funeral. And so that was eye opening too. And what made it even worse is Chris was about to be a father. Uh, uh, oh. A young lady he was seeing was about two months pregnant when he died. And so uh, I am godfather to Christopher Henry II now, and uh, and he is doing well. Uh, it's crazy because he looks, has an uncanny resemblance to his father. Uh, it has similar, I don't know, it's just the vibe. We vibe really well. But it's a trip because now little Chris is a father, too. And so I keep thinking, I'm like, boy, my old knucklehead best friend is a grandpa. So, you know, time goes by. And I'm laughing, Erica, because I'm like, it seems like I, I just experienced my 16th birthday. And uh, mm -hmm. I was joking about that with one of my good friends the other day uh, on his podcast. I was like, dude, these years have flown by. I can remember my 16th birthday in clear detail because I spent most of the day with my then girlfriend, who was best friends with his sister. And I'm like, I remember where we went, what we did, how we hung out, uh, went to the movies, all of that type of stuff. And uh, cause I was driving at that point. And now I'm on the verge of uh, well, I won't say what I'm on the verge of, but these years are moving. And so with that in mind, I think all of these things, these experiences, right. They impact us. And I'm going to admit something else. And some of the dudes that will be listening that are friends of mine are going to be like, Chuck's turning soft as he gets older. Um, but when you say that you were watching the Blige documentary, stuff like that can choke you up. Like, I have never been a teary, crying, choke up kind of guy. I, you know, I, I was one of those black guys that was raised by his dad, like men don't cry. And so, you know, I have that that putrid whatever also. But I find myself getting little lumps in my throat sometimes when I'm watching documentaries or reading things and what have you. And I'm like, well, maybe as you get older, you are becoming more human, man. I don't know. So, <laughs> Well, it, and it's, you know, I think one of the interesting things about, about this stage in our life is because we're all more acutely aware of our own mortality. Mm -hmm. um, and we've also lived a lot more life. So we have this more robust, just pile of life experiences that one of the things I've noticed, if I, I've recently started looking at some old TV shows that came out in the nineties and things like that, like living single. And, you know, I rewatched waiting to exhale and all of the best man movies and, you know, all those kinds of things. And it's always interesting because all of these things hit different after having all of this life experience. And even watching this documentary, I remember that I remember going to a concert of Mary J. Blige in Chastain. It was after my, probably, it was probably whatever was the record after my life. And I remember I always liked Mary, but I wasn't like one of diehard Mary J. Blige fans. But when I saw her perform and leave it all out there, I was like, okay, I get her. But it was interesting watching this documentary is I realized why I was a fan, but she didn't touch me the way she touched some of those other people is at the age when that music came out, a lot of what she was singing about, that wasn't my life. I hadn't experienced that type of pain or that type of heartbreak at that point in my life. My larger heartbreaks were just a little bit later. They weren't, you know, they, they weren't when I was in college or my early 20s. Oh my God, this is a great conversation. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back with more conversation from my amazing guest and yours truly on Better with Dr. Erica. Better with Dr. Erica. It's time for Ask Dr. Erica. So right now it's time for a question I get every time I speak. And I also get it when I am just out and about. That question is, 
what is a psychiatrist? So let me tell you right now. So a psychiatrist is a medical doctor. So we go to school, we do at least four years of college, typically, and then medical school is four years. And we are either an MD or a DO, and then we do postgraduate training or residency. Journal psychiatry training is four years. And then oftentimes people will do specialty training on top of that, like I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist. So I did a child and adolescent psychiatry fellowship, which was an additional two years. So I did six years of training after four years of med school. So all the summary is, is psychiatrists have a whole lot of education. And since we are medical doctors, we also can prescribe and understand how medical symptoms can show up as mental health symptoms. But we don't just prescribe medicine, we also do therapy. So we do lots of things. But I just wanted you to know a little bit about what is a psychiatrist. So guess what? Back to the show. Better with Dr. Erica. So it was just interesting how all of those things hit a little differently with the perspective of a little bit of age. No doubt about it. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting. Last year when the pandemic uh, first really got going a lot, uh, another Morehouse brother of ours who was one of the editors of the Maroon Tiger newspaper, my, I think, salt, no, my junior year, John Tolliver, John died. Now, um, there was speculation that John may have passed from COVID-19. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of brothers and sisters were posting about him. And when I made a post, uh, his niece came onto my, no, she didn't come onto the post. She actually inboxed me and said, we don't know how Uncle John died yet. So if you could change your post up, you know, being gracious, I was like, absolutely. Um, but there's still the speculation that he passed. He was from Miami, another Florida boy. There was speculation that he may have passed from COVID. And, and with that in mind, whatever he passed of is irrelevant. What, what, what hit me was that he died in April of 2020 and we were just kicking it at homecoming in October. Right. And so it, it was another one of those moments, just like when Chris passed, where it reminded you, this was your boy. This, this is somebody mm -hmm. you kicked it with. Sometimes you'd sit in the Maroon Tiger office all night, typing and editing your stuff, other people's stuff. And y'all were just on drinks in October, laughing it up under the tent. And now he's gone. And, and, and it's given Erica, me, a sense of purpose that I think fuels where I'm going. You know, one of the things I'd like to open up with you about, and I've teased in the past talking with you when you've been on my show uh, and, and just separate conversations, I'm like, well, I got a lot of heavy stuff that I can lay out there. But one of the things I have dealt with um, both this past year and over the last decade has been uh, mental health issues. Um, you know, like most black people, and I know, I just know that you've seen this in your psychiatry practice. Black people are very reticent to uh, to acknowledge mental health issues. And, and I think part of that, as the historian, comes from our people in ages past did not have the opportunity to sit up and get down in the dumps too much because survival meant that you had to get up every day, no matter how you felt, and you had to work in the fields, uh, the farms, clearing land, in the kitchens, whatever your job was, blacksmith, you had to do it because Massa or the sharecrop farm owner wasn't trying to hear that, you know, you need a personal health day or that you're not feeling too good about stuff. So I get where it comes from. But as we grow and we get older, uh, we too should be able to benefit from all facets of, of medical knowledge and, and medical assistance, the same as any other people. And so about 10 years ago, not quite, but about nine years ago, um, I thought I was having a heart attack and I was having chest pains. Uh, heart was racing, but my chest was hurting. I was having a tingling sensation in my left arm that wouldn't stop. So I'm on my way to the emergency room thinking, boy, this is it. Like Fred Sanford used to joke, this is the big one. And turns out after they did a battery of tests, and interestingly enough, if you've ever had a heart attack or if you've never had a heart attack, and I pray no one does, when they suspect that I had a heart attack, you know, they shot me with morphine. 
And I had never been shot with morphine before, but it gave me the true understanding how people could high? become addicted. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I can see how people could become addicted because that felt good. Do you get what I'm saying? I, I do. <laughs> I had a, I got hit in the head with a ceiling fan. That's a whole nother conversation. Oh, oh wow. And I was in the ER and they gave me two Vicodins. Yeah. <laughs> and, and one of one of the things I um, did is I remember looking over at my mom and I was like, mom, am I high? <laughs> exactly. And exactly. she's like, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> so go back to your story. I'm no, sorry. It, no, but you, you know what I'm talking about. It's all good when, when that morphine is right. And so turns out it wasn't a heart attack. It was an anxiety attack. And I was struggling with those for months, uh, to tell you the truth. And so they gave me a battery of medicine and I've had a therapist, uh, since then don't see him all the time, Dr. Dana Denard, but I see him, uh, when life feels like it's, it's closing in on me. It's good to know that I can go and sit and talk with doc, uh, a black man who's lived, um, the same realities to a great extent that I have. Um, and so that's a good thing. And I encourage people to do that. Um, you know, I was also diagnosed with depression and that impacted so many facets of my life, including me professionally. And because of that, it, um, it has made me this past year, you know, made me stop and realize what are you doing this for? Right. And when I say this, I'm talking about the law aspect of my career. I actually, you know, to keep it 100 with you, I actually wound up having to be suspended for a period of time because I, during the course of going through depression and stuff, and this is a whole other subject, I did not get some things done on some appellate cases that I was working on. Um, and the Florida bar uh, uh, put me on ice for a period of time and, and I deserved it. I'm not sitting up blaming anybody, but I can tell you, Erica, that much of what I did not get done I didn't get done because I was just burned mm. out and I needed help and I needed to reach out and say, ask for help. But again, being the way men are raised, generally speaking, you know, it's like, well, I can tough this out. I can tough this out. I can tough this out until you could until I couldn't. And, and so with that, I look back, all of these things were happening at the same time. The suspension from the bar was coming at the same time. COVID was shutting stuff down. And, you know, I just was like not knowing where to go. And what's amazing is in that time period, I have become, and I know this may sound cliche, but I have slowly become a better version of myself. Like I just celebrated the year anniversary, well, not a year, the anniversary of the day I started walking. And when mm -hmm. I started walking, Last year, it was on the day that I realized that I was going to be suspended and I just walked. It was about 102 degrees here in Tallahassee that day. It was oppressively brutal heat. And I went back to my old house that I grew up in, in the old neighborhood, and I prayed at the tree that was outside of my uh, room that I grew up in. I, I rang the doorbell first to make sure that the current owners didn't wonder who is this guy uh, 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 walking in their yard. Nobody was home, but I went and prayed at that tree. And the reason I prayed at that tree is because that's the tree I buried my dog Caesar uh, in front of back in 1982. And so all throughout middle school, high school, whenever something was weighing on me, I would always go and sit under that tree with Caesar and talk to God. And so I went and talked to God that afternoon and I walked and I almost passed out because it was so hot. <laughs> And I was so huge still, and I'm still a big guy, but I've dropped almost 70 pounds oh, wow. since then and walked about 600 and I think 18 miles as of yesterday. And so that was a part of my healing process, right? You know, so it's my thoughts are do whatever it is that you have to do to figure out what's best for you. But what I have really come to understand is, and if you want to talk about God ordering steps, one of the things I was concerned about this time last year was, well, what's going to happen financially? How are you going to be? I haven't missed a meal. I haven't missed any payments on anything. And it's because, again, I started writing more. I started doing these podcasts for the AME Church, getting paid to do that. 
And when you stop and you realize, like, even in the midst of struggle, he had me, um, it makes me more at peace. But it also makes me realize that, hey, there are easier ways to live and to get the most out of your talent as opposed to running up and down the road here in Florida, going from murder case to rape case back to murder case and everything in between. Because there's only so much only so much of that murder stuff, Erica, you can see that until it starts to weigh on you. And after 20 something years of it, it was beating me down too. And I just didn't realize that I had had enough, you know? So what I, what I'd like to do is take a quick moment and scooch in because you've said so much and I want to unpack some of it because there was, there was a lot all up in there. Um, because I think one of the hugest things is we're, we're all on these missions to, to be better, do better, and live better, be it a situation where we're just looking to have a better life or a situation where we're trying to survive or we're in crisis and we need to get better, to get to that better life because what we're dealing with right now is just not survivable. It's just not workable. It's not sustainable. And one of the first things I want to say is thank you for being brave enough, but also caring enough to, to share your story and the fact that you've stepped out and decided, you decided that you were going to get some help. Because culturally, especially in the Black community, but I see it in everyone, that it's almost like everyone looks at their mental health as do it yourself. It's I just got to find a way to manage this. I'm just going to do it myself or it's not there or, or there's nothing major going on or our, our ancestors were slaves. They could deal with being slaves. Why can't you deal with this? Or that's for white people. (laughs) You know, you, you've heard that that's for white people. Yeah. And, And I love that we're now starting to have more open conversations because one of the things that pulled me to work in mental health was just seeing how much people's mental health affected their quality of life. And everybody wants to live better. Everyone wants to live long, live well, and also leave some type of legacy. And you have less time to do that if your life is cut short. Amen. Or if you're totally miserable. So I first want to commend you on the fact that when you found out what was going on, you also had the option to just say, whatever, dude, um, you may say, I've said I had this panic attack, mm-hmm. but I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing, whatever. Um, and a lot of people do that. So I w- first want to take a moment and commend that. I also want to send some virtual hugs out for all, all of the losses. And I know a lot of people that went to FAM. <laughs> And I also went to school with Lawrence. So just sending some love out to everyone that's also dealing with the the loss of, um, I want to say like ex-president Humphreys. You yeah, know, <laughs> like, yeah, no, I feel like he was from what I've heard because I didn't know him. He's like one of those people that feels like how President Barack Obama, everyone says like they're forever president. Mm-hmm. I feel like he, for people that went to FAM, he's their forever president. Absolutely. It's uh, Erica, it's funny. You know, when I look at my Facebook friend list, I've got many thousands of Spellhouse folks, but I've got way more FAMU folks because my timeline right now is just orange and green pictures of President Humphreys. And the neatest thing has been seeing so many people talk about their personal experiences with him. Right. And that's very similar to you Spellman sisters. Y'all y'all love some Janetta B. Cole. Right. She's our forever president. (laughs) You're forever president. And I I was not gonna lie. I was jealous uh, of that when we were in school because um, we didn't necessarily have that level of relationship with Uh, Dr. Leroy uh, Keith. I was going to say, I thought it was Leroy. Leroy. Yeah. But, you know, his mama named him Leroy. Right. But, you know, good cap a good brother. But he, he was somewhat aloof when we were in school. We we didn't. You know, if if Dr. Bill Cosby wasn't on campus, uh, it, which used to be a, it's a whole other story, but it used to be so cool when Enos's dad would be on campus. Rest mm-hmm. in peace, Enos Cosby. It would be so cool because the best meals we ever had in the calf were when Dr. Cosby was coming. Like they had steak, shrimp, 
Um, it, baked potatoes, broccoli. It, it was nice. They rolled out. So you could, and it's funny. You always knew he was on campus because you could smell the steaks getting grilled. And you're like, mm. well, the cars must be somewhere around. And he would just oh. come and interact and chill with us in the cafeteria, as would Dr. Leroy Keith at that point. But generally speaking, on any other given day, we wouldn't see him like y'all would see uh, Sister President Cole. And I used to be a little bit jealous of y'all uh, when it came to that. I'm like, boy, I wish we had a president that would just come through the dorm and kick it and sit and talk. And you know, that, that wasn't his reality. Yeah. And I know he worked hard in a lot of respects, so I'm not dissing good brother. But again, Humphreys was that at FAM also. Just a magnanimous figure, really good guy too. Um, huge guy, booming voice. Um, and he would just make you feel as if you could go run through a brick wall uh, when he would get through talking or giving a speech. You're like, man, I can do anything I set my mind to because because Hump said we can do that. And so, yeah, his loss is one uh, for the ages here. And I even compared him. Uh, I made a comment in my latest blog where I said if they ever make a Mount Rushmore of educators, I think his face belongs up there with like the Booker T. Washington's and the. Uh, Mary McLeod Bethune's of the world. And, you know, of course, Sister President and, and Benjamin Mays. So uh, Humphreys has had that kind of impact on education and black education. And I hope that uh, he finds rest. And I am definitely praying for Lawrence. That's uh, again, we go so far back. But, you know, I'm, I'm praying for his comfort and as well as for Fred and his sister Tanya as well. I remember every day on my way to school for a while, I used to listen to Bobby McFerrin, mm -hmm. don't worry, be happy. Mm -hmm. But there are all these small moments that, especially with creativity, you get this opportunity to touch people and leave a legacy. And for you, I feel like there is a legacy that is being created in real time with your writing. Can you tell people more about your current writing project? No, sure. Absolutely. I have uh, two books that I'm working on and um, they're both done. And when I say working on, uh, I'm in the editing process. And, and so what I have figured out that I'm going to have to do is because it's stalling the process is I'm going to have to go full bore edit on one, then full bore edit on the other, as opposed to the way my mind, my quirky mind works. I might wake up this day and I'm like, okay, I want to work on this book here and then wake up the next day. No, I just need to focus Finish. in on one, focus in on the other, and then boom, get them published. Um, be it self-publishing. I mean, obviously I want to pitch it and if somebody wants to sell it, that's great. But I call it the master P model, which is get those books printed out, get that website going and take it straight to the people, just like I've done with the High Observation Point blog. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But one of the books is a collection of essays on a number of topics uh, dealing with social issues, sports, uh, uh, current politics, uh, you name it. And that's probably my favorite of the two uh, and what have you. And I think it's, I, I think that's going to do really well. I, I can't wait mm -hmm. to to, to see how the public responds to it. The second is more of a textbook that I have created after almost a decade's worth of writing black history vignettes. It occurred to me about a year ago, I was like, I can compile all of these different black history observations I've done through the years and then others that have never been seen before uh, that I have written for specifically for that original book and I looked up and I was like, boy, you've got two nice size manuscripts here book wise. So I'm, I'm, I'm really hopeful to add my name to the list of authors uh, before this year is out. And I anticipate that it's going to happen separately uh, with the observation point. I'll tell your your listeners that was born out of Facebook jail. So. I am one of those uh, folks that has been put in what they call Facebook jail seven times in the last decade, right? And what amazes me about Facebook jail is that I can scour Facebook all day and I can see people posting some of the most ratchet stuff that you ever wanted to see. I mean, I even have one young lady that I grew up with who uh, even sometimes posts pictures that are almost naked, just to be honest with you. And, 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 and she's never been put in Facebook jail about that. 
But one of the times I went to Facebook jail was I did a post on the picture of the black nanny from the 19th mm -hmm. century who was nursing a white baby. And so her breast was partially exposed because the white child was nursing. And I got put in Facebook jail for 15 days because they said that violated community standards, the picture. Um, I've been put in Facebook jail about writing about Palestine versus Israel, uh, other black history posts. So never anything ratchet. I, I get put in Facebook jail about telling truths, which is funny because that's what we're battling right now with the whole full Republican issue of critical race theory. Uh, there are a lot of people, a lot of our, our white brothers and sisters in this country who just don't want the truth told. So with that, I got put in Facebook jail for 30 days back in uh, 2017. And FAMU's journalism professor, uh, uh, Dean, uh, Dr. Ann Kimbrough, inboxed me and said, Chuck, this is ridiculous. Why don't you start your own blog? Um, and it never occurred to me before because I would just post the things that you see in my blog now if it wasn't being published in The Hill, The Griot, or The Tallahassee Democrat, or The Times, um, I would just post it on Facebook. It's just a Facebook post. And I started that in March of 2017 and have, in the last four years, had well over half a million viewers on the site. And so with that kind of viewership, it occurred to me about six weeks ago, Chuck, why don't you monetize your blog, so to speak, right? And it's not that I hadn't thought about it before. I'd had a lot of people, family members, as well as friends say, Chuck, you need to make some money out of this. You need to make some money out of this. But to be honest with you, if the pandemic hadn't come, if I hadn't had to deal with sitting out per the bar's mandatory sit out, it would have never occurred to me at any point in time to try to focus on alternate ways to make money because I'm like, hey, you're doing really well off of your law practice. And so now I'm like, OK, you've got to figure out how to get these over half million viewers who read your stuff for free to pay. And I thank you for uh, being a paid subscriber, Dr. Erica and what have you. So, you, you know, it's 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 it, you know, you helping with the with, with the Chuck Hobbs fund. It's all good. And so with that in mind, it, you it's just told me dinner. Exactly. It's coming too, right. Matter <laughs> of fact, one of my sincere hopes is too is that when they finally open the world back up and we can do a spell house homecoming again, I hope to get with my frat brother, Jay Madison, and with Uncle Nearest and maybe sponsor a tent where it's a joint observation point, Uncle Nearest tent. So, I mean, we're just thinking out loud right now, but where we set out all the food, all the liquor and all the good music uh, that we all love, try to compete with y'all's 95 tent. I was going to say, I'll, I'll visit, but yeah. you know, our, the <laughs> class of 95 yeah. tent is. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to lie. The, there's always the destination. Oh my goodness. There's always a point in time where I'm going to find my way to y'all's tent because y'all always have the best food. Uh, and, and drinks over there with y'all. I'm like, okay, now it's time for me to go get get my fat on, my fat boy on over there with the 95 crew. But well, you know, the last homecoming that we actually were able to have, Joy was frying the fish. I remember that. <laughs> I actually remember that she was out there. Oh boy, I was like, look at Joy out here making it happen. Okay. So listen, this conversation is nothing without you. So stay right there, and we will be right back after a message from our sponsors. Welcome to Goodwin Medical Associates, where we provide customized, caring telepsychiatry that is delivered with compassion by a Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist. Don't you know that everyone, including you, deserves great mental health? Visit www.goodwintelepsych.com for more information and to book your free consultation. To stay in touch with all things Better with Dr. Erica, you can go to betterthepodcast.com, betterthepodcast.com, and you can also follow us on social media at Dr. Erica, D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A. My parents used all the letters on all social media. I look forward to hearing from you. Better with Dr. Erica. One of the things I want to let the people know is one of the unique things, and I actually learned something today, I did not know that Chuck was a history major, 
is that one of the things that is beautifully written in his writing, including the oh, is it that's still observation point, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I'm like yeah, all about brand, a, branding. So yeah. mm-hmm. so with within those writings is there's a lot of facts in history. So it's not simply commentary on current events or things that are happening. Like this is my opinion is it's actually very fact-based. It's very grounded. Um, so I, I do think it's going to have a, a wonderful life because of the way it is crafted. And the fact that a lot of our history, quite frankly, it's not, it's not written where people easily can find or digest it. I think there's some shifts now, now that the whole world is like, D-E-N-I is the thing to be. So let's talk about white fragility and mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. So I think more of it's starting to come to their forefront in ways that you can get it easily. But I I do think that's a huge role for not only having the facts, but also being a truth teller. And that's one of the things I look at you as, is you are, you are a truth teller. And by you telling the truth, number one, that frees up a part of your spirit and mental capacity to help others more and take care of yourself. But it also is a vehicle that helps people get to that better life that they're trying to get to, too. Amen. Amen. And Erica, you know what is also interesting is I know both of us are musicians. Uh, and, and I say musicians in the present tense because I, I always. I was going to say, you. I haven't played the saxophone since I was in high school. Yeah, but I'm quite sure. I'm 100% sure that after you get over the initial squeakiness, if, if, if they put a saxophone in your hand, it'll come back to you because those are the types of skills that just like riding a bicycle, you know, you, you learn it, you learn it. Don't and test me on the bassoon. Though. Don't, don't test, test it. Me. OK, I got you. I got well, because I, I didn't play the bassoon as long. So. I, I told I, to, I totally feel you. Well, I'm a percussionist <laughs> and I played a lot of different percussion instruments, but my main baby was the snare. And uh, I'm still halfway decent with it. I, I, I'm not saying that I'm as thorough as I was at 14 or 15, but. I can still make a go if you put some sticks in my hand. But what I'll tell you as a musician, and and you'll remember this, is is writing for me is is just like art. It's uh and and so what happens is is like I I love reading about different lyricists, like and and obviously one of my favorite, like most of our favorite, uh the late Prince Rogers Nelson. I mean, at the end of the day, um he was an amazing poet. Uh, in addition to being a writer of music himself. And one of the things that I wrote many years ago is my favorite song of his is Adore. And I I find that Adore is one of those songs that I could listen to over and over again. And each time I I hear something different because there are so many different instruments that are playing and harmonizing and what have you. And I say all the time that my elusive goal is to one day write an article that is as brilliant as his writing adore from a lyrical as well as an arrangement standpoint. So I set the go- the bar real high. I haven't attained that yet, but uh, with God's will, God's grace, uh, hopefully I'll be able to get to that point and continue to do it. But just like a prince, I write because it's on my heart. Like sometimes people are like, Chuck, how do you decide what to write about. Eric, I kid you not, I wake up 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning and stuff just starts coming in my head. And I don't have to think hard about it at all. And I just start writing. And and so that lets me know that it's divinely inspired. And ultimately I write, you know, to please God. And if it pleases everybody else, great. But if it doesn't, if he's pleased, I'm pleased. And, and that's kind of just where it is. So Hopefully we will see. And similar to my idol Prince, I have a vault also. Now, not a legit vault like he did up at Paisley Park where there's actually legit thousands of songs. But I do have uh, saved on word uh, a whole bunch of stuff that the public has never seen. And so, um, you know, one of these days I've got enough to probably spit out three or four different books of, you know, essays that I've written since college that are right there on Word, ready to go. And sometimes I go through the archives and look, and I'm like, huh, I could actually pull that up. Okay. Because what I said in 1993 is actually still applicable today in 2021. But no, I just hold it because I'm like, hey, just hold that for, for another date. You know, we'll see. 
All right. So won't he do it? Yeah, won't he do it? Won't he will? Will he won't? (laughs) Okay. I I know. I know. So this is a great time for us to transition to the speed round. Are you ready? I'm ready. I know speed round is tough for you sometimes. Okay. 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 I know because I like to talk. I'm a mouth runner. Mm-hmm. I know. Are you are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What is the best lesson you've learned from your mom? Believe in yourself and don't listen to the critics. Uh, so that's quick. I don't I don't want to expand too long, but she's <laughs> huge on the, I don't know if you saw a post I had yesterday. I wrote let whoever think whatever. That, that is a more slang form of what mom talks about all the time, which is, hey, do what you feel is right and don't worry about what the critics have to say. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. And what's one piece of advice you'd like to give to your younger self, to little Chuck? Follow your heart. Uh, I'm not quite sure I did that, right? Um, if I had followed my true heart, I'd be Dr. Chuck Hobbs right now, PhD, because that's in history, because that's really what I wanted to do. Um, Yes, I enjoyed Johnny Cochran. Yes, I enjoyed the trial. But to a great extent, I neglected to say this. My dad actually always wanted to go to law school. So in a way, I think that my going to law school was fulfilling a dream of his more so than fulfilling a dream of mine. Not that he explicitly told me to, but, you know, sometimes psychologically, as you know, psychiatrists, Things are funny, but I really wanted to be a history professor sitting somewhere with a nice tweed jacket with the pipe in my hand, uh, waxing on and on and on. So, yeah, follow your heart is what I would tell Lil Chucky. Oh, I love it. But your bank account is probably happy you went to law school. This is true, too. (laughs) So all things work. Because I have a friend that's a historian. Yeah. Yeah. It ain't sexy. I got you. I got you. I got you, man. I got you. So it's a blessing. Absolutely. Mm hmm. And um, what's a favorite gift you give to yourself? The gift uh, that I give to myself, and that is a great question. Um, I give myself grace to fail. Okay. The gift of grace, which is to understand that everything isn't going to always work out well, but keep trying. Oh, I love it. This is one of my favorites. You have a day off, like a real day off. What are you looking forward into doing? Pre-COVID, a perfect Chuck Hobbs slash Ferris Bueller's day off would have been going to the AMC multiplex and watching a movie with nobody else nearby. Uh, for anybody who has done midday movies back in the day, you can be in there by yourself with a big thing of whatever. I like Reese's Pieces. Uh, a nice Coke and a hot dog, and I would enjoy myself. Now, that was my pre-COVID perfect day off, right? (laughs) My COVID perfect day off is just being able to sleep. I know that that sounds awful, but the ability to just unplug and watch a show until I'm out. That, that, That is so crucial and necessary, being able to rest, because so many of us have neglected rest through the years because of the grind and some of the best midday naps I've ever had have come since COVID. Oh, midday nap. I feel like it needs to be a t-shirt. <laughs> <or> like a <laughs> club. Right, 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 right. Because that's one of my goals is to get to a point where I can do the midday nap. The midday nap. No doubt about it. So what is one thing that you do when someone either disrespects you or underestimates you? Okay. Intellectual thug, Chuck, if it was a guy, would punch them in the mouth. Uh, intellectual thug Chuck back in the day, if it was a young lady, would straighten her out verbally. Uh, older Hobbs, old Hobbs now has learned that more often than not to, to learn to try to calm that down. And I'm not perfect with it, Erica. I mean, I, I, I you know, and I'm not out here swinging on dudes, uh, uh, no more, although I definitely still have the capability, but, um, sometimes like people say on social media, my mouth can get reckless. And because I am a true Taurus. And so like the old story, do you remember the story from when we were little of Ferdinand the Bull, where mm-hmm. all Ferdinand wanted to do was read his books and play and sit among the flowers. And he was a nice, gentle soul until that bee stung him. And then he turned into the proverbial bull in the China shop. Well, that's Chuck Hobbs. I, I don't bother people. I mind my business. Uh, but if I'm stung, 
it, 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 it can get rough. And I'm, I'm working on that. I'm working to get better. Uh, there have even been times on social media where I have like totally dressed down some troll who's come onto a post trying to be nasty. Um, or even last week, I, a little bit of the old me came out last week on Steel Sharp and Steel. We had some troll who came on talking crazy. And I finally had to yield to your your friend and our sister Joy because I, I was wanting to come through the computer uh, at whoever this was that was talking trash. And she handled it far more classy than I could have. <laughs> hey, you know, we, we all know what our roles are. We right, all know. right, right. So the last one is what's your superpower? Hmm. My superpower is my pen. I think that when I look at all of God's gifts, I think what I do best is write. I, I, I think I give decent presentations. I think I, I've done some great jobs and some trials. I've heard some judges and opposing counsel say, boy, you are a great orator. But I think that my ability with the written word far exceeds anything else that I can do. So I think that I have the I'll call I call matter of fact, this will make you laugh because I know you're a Star Wars fan like I am. I used to keep a purple pen for years, like Mace Windu's purple lightsaber. So <laughs> I you I keep blue, I keep red for my, when I'm feeling like a Sith, like Darth Vader and uh Darth Maul and everybody. And uh but definitely the pen. The pen is mightier than the sword. So what are your final thoughts and takeaways for the people? My final thoughts are these, which is we all have to be true to ourselves, right? I think that so often, Erica, many of us have fallen into the trap of trying to please uh, everybody but ourselves. And I think that this past year in particular has helped me to realize that, you know, we should never do things to hurt others, but we definitely should use our time on earth to fulfill ourselves in whatever way whatever way that could be. So my sincere hope is that if you've been thinking about leaving that job to try a new business, go ahead and leave it. If you feel as if you need to go and speak to a psychiatrist like Dr. Erica or get you a therapist, go get you one. If you feel as if uh, you want to try to lose weight, uh, no time better than the present. If you don't feel like losing weight, Continue to love yourself, even however it is that you look, because you only have you. And as long as you're happy, it doesn't matter what the world writ large has to say. And more than anything, I always tell people to continue to get as much knowledge and wisdom as you can. They are not mutually exclusive. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think that the more that we learn the and the more that we can pray or tap into our spiritual centers, uh, the easier it is to be wise in all of our decisions and make sure that our paths are correctly directed. Oh, I love it. And the next thing is, is where can the people find you if they just can't get enough of Chuck Hobbs on this podcast? Well, no, I appreciate that. What I would ask you to do is go to the Um The That is where my blog can be found. And what you can do is you can subscribe. You can sign up for the free posts. I do about two or three free posts per week, but the subscription content is much better. Uh, like, for instance, I, I, I put uh, my own audio and visual podcasts up. Um, like later today, Erica, I'm getting ready to interview our Morehouse brother, Chris Jones, who is uh, running for governor over in Arkansas. Oh, He's got a yes. whole lot of buzz uh, behind him. So uh, Gerald Tooks and I are going to, link up with him around three o'clock and shoot just like you and I just got through shooting. Um, so Hopefully definitely one day I'll mm -hmm. be cool enough to be on yours. No, you definitely, I, I, I see you talking trash. I, I've been trying to get you on, but we will, we'll, we'll, we'll get you scheduled up real soon. But, but no, the paid content includes like, for instance, uh, your, your, your podcast. Uh, once this one's done, I'll, send this one out to my followers and it's really doing well so far. I've been pleasantly surprised that people are actually subscribing because that, there's always that little bit, Erica, you know, you always had that little bit of you, that little voice in your head, like, will somebody actually do this? Are they really feeling you? And it's good when you are starting to see that folks are appreciating what it is that you're doing. So definitely you all sign up for the observation point. And, um, and again, I hope to come back on your show as many times as you can have me. Oh, thank you so much. And thanks for being such a gracious guest and 
fitting us into your busy schedule and also sharing so much with the people. If you did not write the link down, his link and his social media links will be in the episode description. So you can always grab those. What I'd like to say in my little bit of wrap up is there is so much power in authenticity. And one of the powerful things about it is the self-awareness and discovery we have when we start thinking about why we are not comfortable as our authentic self or what we feel like prevents us from showing up as our authentic self. And on that mission to be better, do better, and live better, it's huge to be able to have those conversations with yourself, potentially with a coach or with a therapist or psychiatrist too, to work out what is getting in the way of you getting to your goals. What is getting in the way of that happiness you deserve? What is getting in the way of that life you want so that then you can problem solve it? Because they always say there's that saying that, a, what is it? Um, a goal is a dream with a plan. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know what are either your challenges, your strengths, or what kind of things motivate you, or what are your triggers, it's hard for you to put the proper plan in place to get to where you want to go personally or professionally. And one of the things I think that's huge that we've been talking about today ultimately is when you're when you're moving in a way that you feel aligned with your spirit and your purpose that it opens up a whole other level of mental and emotional capacity. And a lot of what people have been dealing with over the past year with this pandemic and everything that's come with it, with the racial injustice, but also even before then, because people, there have been so many things to struggle with before this pandemic. I feel like the pandemic just kind of put a big spotlight on it, is being willing to step out and get to a point where you believe something can be better. And they'd be willing to take the actions necessary to do better and to be better, be it things that deal with your inside body and your vessel as far as sleep, restoration, what you're eating and putting in your body, what you're drinking, getting movement, all of those kinds of things in sleep to what's what you're telling yourself in your self-talk to working through all of your own issues and traumas. So I just want to encourage people to start the journey. And it's some people's journey's not fast, and that's okay if it's not fast. It's like that Martin Luther King quote that I'm about to destroy of that you don't have to see the entire staircase, you just need to see the first the next stair. I'll have to look up the quote and put it in the show notes cuz I can't I'll always remember that quote cuz it comes up on a million memes and when I went to the Civil History Museum, Chuck may actually remember the quote the way it's supposed to be other than my personal remix. No, I think yours sounds better. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but I want to leave this conversation with you just being in a place to, to feel inspired and to, to remember that you have the power to leave a beautiful legacy. And it doesn't have to be that you were some superstar or every single human being knew your name, or you made the most money All of us have those stories of a janitor somewhere we worked or in school or like for me, my kindergarten teacher. I always remember my swim instructor, my swim coach. There are all these people that probably have no idea the amount of impact they have. And I am sure you are impacting people every day with the life you live. So that's what I have for you today. Thank you so much for trusting us to put us in your ears today and listen to Better with Dr. Erica. I'm just sending out lots of positive vibes and virtual hugs to all of you. And I can't wait to see you next week. You know that the episodes drop on Tuesday morning. So we come out weekly. So if you haven't listened to some past episodes, catch up on those and you can subscribe, click follow or subscribe depending on your platform. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, I would totally love it if you could rate and review because that allows me to create more content and also get sponsors. And sponsors are helpful because it lets me do even more stuff. So rather than talk your ear off, you're going to hear me again. 
So until next time, have a better day. Thanks for listening. Find me on social media at Dr. Erica, D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A on all social media and online at betterthepodcast.com. That's betterthepodcast.com. If you like what you heard, tap on that subscribe or follow button, then click share and click rate and review. Now, don't panic if you don't see rate and review. Sometimes it mainly shows up on Apple Podcasts and Audible. But I appreciate hearing your feedback. Check back weekly for new episodes. They drop on Tuesday mornings. Until next time, be better, do better, live better. Better with Dr. Erica. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.